Good morning. Just as we have launched our new children's talk series today, so we're also launching our new preaching series. This morning I'm going to be opening us in the first of our series in the fruit of the Spirit. This morning we're going to consider from John chapter 15 that Jesus is the true vine. We're going to think a little bit about what it means eh, to have fruit and to bear fruit. And then in the coming nine weeks we're going to look at the specifics eh, of Christian character, of biblical examples of that Christian character and what that character looks like. In our own lives. I'm really looking forward to the series ahead. Uh, Scott Hamilton from Harvest Church in Glasgow will be leading us next week in the fruit of love. So I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, So let's just start by reading together John chapter 15 verses 1 to 11. I'll uh, put the words up on the screen so that you can read along if you like. So John chapter 15 verses 1 to 11. I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Friends, as we open the word together, shall we just bow our heads for a moment and pray? Our Lord and our God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather again in this way this morning. We thank you that we are edging ever closer to the building works being finished in the church, eh, so that to some extent some of us will be able to meet eh, gathered as your people in the weeks ahead. But Father, for now, as we gather around your word and to John chapter 15, we ask, Lord, would you speak to each one of our hearts? We thank you that your word is living, that your spirit is alive and in us. And we thank you for the work of the spirit in each one of us. Would your spirit do a new work in us today? We pray. Amen. I want to take us through three rough points this morning. Uh, I'm sitting kind of over to the side so I'm going to try and get PowerPoint slides up there and not move my head too far over there as I go. Um, but very simply as an overview of this, uh, we're going to look at Christ being the true vine. We're going to look at the fact we were saved to be fruitful. And thirdly, we'll look at what it means to abide in Christ. This is one of these passages that when Jesus speaks, there is such richness. We could have a full sermon out of every verse of this and spend the next three months just going through these three verses. So I've tried to summarise and bring together a lot of that. So we start at the beginning. Christ is the true vine and the Father is the vine dresser. 
last week, Easter Sunday, we find ourselves going back a few days from here. We find ourselves just pre-Easter to the upper room. And a conversation that takes place between Jesus and his disciples. And the context of this conversation is post-Easter. What will things look like when Jesus is gone? And more importantly, the mission that Jesus challenges his disciples with. What will things look like going forward when Jesus is no longer here? Well, he tells them, remember, remember that I am the true vine. This is an image that we find throughout the Old Testament. It is an illustration of the land and the people of Israel. But here we read of Jesus, the one who has fulfilled the laws and the prophets, declaring that in the new covenant, he is the true vine. He is the fulfillment of that. And the true vine. And this conversation is laying the foundations for the disciples as to what their mission will be built upon going forward. Everything that they are to do, everything that they will be and who they are, is built around the fact that Christ is the true vine. Jesus is confronting his disciples and therefore he is uh, talking to us as well. And what he's saying is productivity and fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is the better biblical word, but we can interchange the word productivity or fruitfulness. Uh, as Christians, isn't an optional extra, but it's expected of us. I don't know how much of this you know. Maybe you know loads about vineyards. Uh, I didn't, so I found all this quite interesting. But if you know all about the work of the vine dresser and how vineyards work, you'll know all about this process. But the metaphor and the fruit bearing uh, metaphor are all based on the production of grapes uh, through the cultivation of grapevines. To make a vineyard productive, the vine dresser went along the rows of vines. And when he saw vines that were producing no fruit, but they were taking sap and strength and energy away from the vine, he cut them off. Then the vine dresser gathered together all those dead sticks and he threw them into a fire to get rid of them. But the ones that were bearing fruit, he also cut back. He clipped them, he pruned them, so that their fruit would increase in the times to come. And the pruning process is one of the most important parts of this whole enterprise. And people that do it have to be carefully trained. Interestingly, some vineyards even insist on two or three years in training eh, vine dressers so that they know how to cut, how much to cut, and even what angle to cut up. And I think there's a wonderful metaphor in here for us uh, as a picture of the Christian life. Once we are converted, bearing in mind in this that we are the branches. Once we're converted, God doesn't say, okay, I've put my seal of approval on you. So just let go, let God, I'll take care of the rest of your life. Don't worry about anything. We know that that's not reality. But no, God loves us so much that he cleanses us. In other words, he chastens us, he rebukes us. He brings his hand heavily from time to time. And this is part of the process we go through to be made pure. R.C. Sproul's thought, I think, is really helpful in this. He talks about the great judgment, uh, the greatest judgment that God can bring on a believer would be to leave them alone and let them have their own way. Because God loves us, he prunes us. And he encourages us to bear more fruit for his glory. If branches could speak, they would confess that the pruning process hurts. 
but they would also rejoice in the fact that following the pruning process they are able to produce more and better fruit how does the father prune us sometimes he simply uses the words to convict and to cleanse sometimes it's something stronger as he chastens or rebukes and at times it hurts when he removes something precious from us but as the spiritual crop is produced we see that the father knew what he was doing all along I love this illustration that's given by biblical counsellor David Pollison and he uses an example to show how our difficult circumstances serve as effective idol revealers so he takes a bottle of water that is filled with water and he removes the cap and he starts smashing the bottle and bending it and spilling water everywhere and soon of course the water is all over the place I did think about doing this illustration but I might give a message so I didn't um, so the water goes everywhere and he then asks why is there water on the floor and the initial answer is well there's water on the floor because you shook the bottle but ultimately the answer is there is water on the floor because there was water in the bottle the situation, the shaking didn't create the water but the water was there and as it went through the shaking process the water went everywhere and I think it's a really helpful illustration that in the same way our circumstances don't create what is in our heart our situations and our circumstances whatever we face are simply a stage on which our heart's condition is revealed our biggest problem isn't what's outside of us but it is what is inside of us what are the idols what are the sins that God has or is or will exposing us and I guess I want to share with you a little bit of a personal example that God has used in my life a difficult situation to expose sin and prune me I grew up as a teenager with a lot of anger issues and I hated lots of things I hated school I hated God I hated church and the marriage breakdown of my mum and dad made my anger issues even more evident as a teenager my anger issues often turned into uncontrollable rage I would put holes in walls I would take things and drink things that I would think would suppress that I got excluded from two schools I was an angry man and I hated hated the world I became a Christian when I was 18 and I was still very much processing the separation and the divorce of my parents but as I became a Christian I began to understand the character that was expected of me as a new Christian not one of fits of anger but of one of peace of gentleness and of patience my anger was abundantly exposed to me through the situations that I had been through yes of course those circumstances had had a big effect on my anger issues but my heart was already angry and my circumstances added to that so what did I do as an 18 year old with a newfound faith and an enthusiasm for Jesus how did I begin to try and combat those anger issues well firstly I prayed about it and I spoke to somebody about it I began to seek help with my anger issues because when I was angry I scared my mum and my sister and that wasn't okay and if you were to speak now to those who helped me and were there for me in those early days it wasn't pretty it wasn't easy it wasn't quick but that pruning process 
was deeply painful for me. It was deeply painful to address and to work through uh, the issues that had caused me to be such an angry young man. And the pruning process was hard. But here I am, eight years after beginning to address those issues. And I'm not scared of myself or the rage that I once knew because my anger is now something I am able to control. But hard circumstances exposed the sin that was in my heart. It exposed the anger and the rage issues that I had. Ultimately, what did it take for me to be able to manage that? It was abiding in Jesus. It was by asking his spirit for help. It was by using godly people to help me through what I was going through. At the beginning, by stopping in the moments of anger, by praying, by asking for God's help to remove this sinfulness and to help me manage it. Of course, I still get angry. But I'm far more aware of how to deal with it because that pruning process that God has taken me through exposed it. It was horrible at the time. It was horrible at the time to go through a process. But now I look back, I recognise that there is something I had to go through. I had to go through to learn how to control my anger. And for me, it was through that pruning, that refining, that exposing that I discovered my call in life. I call to, to love and to shepherd and to care for and to serve and to disciple and build up the church. Because ultimately it was the local church that picked me up from a place eh, that was so low and that was so difficult. And if it wasn't for that pruning, if it wasn't for those other Christians who got alongside me and helped me on that journey, I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in today. I wonder what sins and what idols... God has or is or will expose in our lives. Secondly, you are saved to be fruitful. Verse 2 talks of how salvation bears fruit. Verse 5 talks about how fruitfulness comes from Jesus. And in verse 8 he talks about how fruitfulness glorifies God. Jesus refers to bearing fruit as something that happens after somebody is connected to him. When there is a branch that is firmly attached into the vine, when Jesus is the source of all life, then we are able to bear fruit. Here we see the emphasis on the relationship between us as Christians and Christ. Here Jesus encourages his disciples, but also throughout all of scripture, and to all believers that we are to be fruitful. It's something he talks about loads. That we are to be productive. The theme of bearing fruit and productivity is often declared throughout the New Testament. That it is something that is to be expected. That we are people that are expected to be fruitful and productive. I think one of the greatest problems we face in the modern day church is that lethargy that says I don't really need to do very much. And the glorious truth is said in verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You see, we're already clean. We're already a branch. We're already grafted in. We're already saved because salvation is part of God's plan. And in God's doing, we were saved by grace through faith alone. There is a free gift from God. There is nothing that we can do to earn it. There is nothing that we can do to lose it. It is God who is the author of the book of life. Our salvation doesn't depend on our goodness. It doesn't depend on our fruit. Thank goodness. 
but fruit is what follows true faith. As James tells us in the often quoted, faith without works is dead. The two come hand in hand. James in his writings has such an expectation that Christians will be and Christians will do what Jesus did and show real fruit because of their love for him. And as much as I believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation, I also wholeheartedly believe that it is never an acceptable reason for us to be lazy Christians. Our fruit and our good works do not save us, but we are saved to be fruit-bearing people. Our call as Christians is the highest calling that there is. We serve the King of Kings. And the idea of productivity and bearing fruit comes from Jesus. It's not some invention of capitalism, but it is a mandate of Jesus. He saves us in our weakness and in our sinfulness and he calls us to be fruitful. He makes it clear in here that if he were to leave us to ourselves, we would be completely useless. We would produce nothing worthwhile in the kingdom of God because as he says in verse 5, without me you can do nothing. So what is the fruit that Jesus is concerned with? What is the fruit that he wants to see in our lives? And we'll come in a moment to Galatians chapter 5 that we're going to focus this series around. But there's a few things that I think bearing fruit relates to here. And I'll put them up on the screen. We bear fruit when we win others to Christ. When we have a faithful testimony of the gospel and the Spirit uses that to speak to somebody's life. That is fruit. That is wonderful fruit. How glorious is it when somebody comes to know the Lord Jesus because another Christian's testimony has been so faithfully lived out and spoken. As we grow in holiness and obedience, we are bearing fruit. As we are people who live less and less in rebellion, but more and more eh, in the likeness of Christ, and as our obedience and our holiness grows, we bear fruit. Paul considered Christian giving to be a fruit of a dedicated life. A faithful Christian will be a generous person with everything that they have. So we have the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22-23. This is the kind of character that glorifies God and makes Christ real to others round about us. Also our good works, our service. The things that we do with our time, they grow out of our lives that abide in Christ. And finally, the praise that comes from our lips, the praises that we sing to God, they are a witness, a bearing of the fruit as we raise our voices to him. The central emphasis out of all of these, all of these are important, all of these are indicators of somebody's salvation. But the emphasis here in the New Testament and and the focus of this passage is the fruit of the Spirit. It is the fruit of a changed life, of a character transformed, of a character that is strengthened and is nurtured by the source of all holiness, the Lord Jesus himself. You see, a good tree produces fruit that is pleasing to the one who planted it. 
A good tree produces fruit that is pleasing to the one who planted it. The fruit of the Spirit we will explore in the coming weeks from Galatians 5. They are an, a specific example of the general principle that is being brought to us here of bearing fruit. Is my Christian character, my actions, my deeds, my heart, my desires, are they marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control? Of course that's not a, an exhaustive list of what it looks like to bear fruit but they are the examples that Paul gives us. They are examples of characters that we characteristics that we see displayed throughout Scripture for those who are in love with our God and for those who are abiding in Him. Or, as Paul gives in the other list above that, are we marked? Is our characteristics marked by the flesh? Is our character marked by sexual immorality? By impurity? by sensuality, by idolatry, by sorcery, by enmity, by strife or jealousy, by fits of anger or rivalries or dissensions or divisions or envy or drunkenness or orgies and things like these. Some of these are big outward issues like drunkenness and sorcery and sexual immorality. But if you take the, the characteristic traits out of here, idolatry, enmity, strife, jealousy, rivalry, dissensions, divisions and envy, they are heart issues that can affect all areas of life. I wonder which of these lists most closely resembles your character. Are we abiding in Christ? Are we walking in the Spirit? Are we growing in love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control? Or are we living in the flesh? Are we living in our sinfulness, feeding our hearts with the things of this world and ending up in that second uh, list of the characteristics of those that live in the flesh? And finally, as the encouragement to us, abide in Christ. You don't need a theology degree or to be extremely clever to work out the central emphasis of this passage. When the same word or phrase is repeated over and over and over again, it means that whoever is speaking it, in this case the Lord Jesus, is emphasising it. In my translation in the ESV, ten times in these eleven verses we read the word abide. Abide in me. The more we immerse ourselves in Christ, the more we consume ourselves with his goodness and his kindness, his holiness and his sovereignty. The more we reflect on the wonders of the cross and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. The more time that we spend in his presence, the more we abide in Christ. We should long for intimacy with him. Do you know how wonderful if our hearts echo that of David in Psalm 63 and verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry weary land where there is no water. David earnestly seeks God. His soul thirsts for God. There is desperation and there is urgency in here. 
How wonderful it would be to have a heart that echoes that. Like someone in a desert with no water strives for that water. Do we strive for Jesus? J.C. Ryle wonderfully wrote, To abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant close communion with him. To always, to be always leaning on him, resting on him, pouring out our hearts to him and using him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend. To have his word abiding in us is to keep his sayings and precepts continually before our memories and minds. To make them the guide of our actions and the rule of our daily conduct and behaviour. To have his word abiding in us means to have scripture continually before our minds and our memories so that it guides our actions and our daily conducts and behaviour. God is concerned with our progress and how much fruit we bear as Christians. We are so fortunate to be his children. How infinitely grateful we should be that he has called us to himself. But he doesn't give us these commandments and call us to bear fruit without helping us eh, to see the way in which we are to do so. And the way that we do that is abiding in him and through the work of his spirit. We are to be fruit bearing people. All of us. We're called to be those people of love and joy and peace and patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. How do we do it? We walk by faith. We spend time focused with God. We're intentional. Hour by hour we nurture our faith. We're constantly looking to Jesus through the scriptures. We are making sure that the things of God are printed in the front of our mind. That in the moments of sin and temptation, in the moments of weakness and struggle, it is our Lord that comes to our mind first. It is his promises. It is what he declares. Confess your sins before God. When was the last time you poured out your heart to God and lamented your sinfulness? When was the last time you asked God to expose the idols of your heart so that you eh, may be pruned and ultimately bear more fruit for God? I encourage you to confess your sins to one another. Find a brother or sister in Christ and confess your sins. Not so that they will use it against you or laugh at you or hold it against you or anything else. But so that the two of you together can earnestly bring things before God. It is so important for us to have other Christians, maybe one Christian, maybe a couple, that we are 100% open and transparent with. I believe it's utterly vital to our Christian life. That that accountability and that love, that encouragement and the rebuke as well is so important. And I would encourage you, if you don't have somebody like that in your life, that you catch up with regularly, that you pray with, that you are held accountable with to find somebody. Just spend time praying together. The purpose of sharing this this morning 
really is to get us thinking about where we abide as branches grafted into the vine. The goal of abiding is the glory of God. In verse 8, as Jesus says, by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You see, the, the whole design and reason in this analogy that we are not the vine is because we are utterly dependent branches that are grafted into the vine so that we can give glory to God. And the outward shape and design and structure of that vine is utterly dependent on the vine dresser. And in that God is brought all the glory. The bottom line in this is hour by hour let us receive and rest in and trust and savour and enjoy Christ's word and his love and his joy. Then we will be people who are fruitful. We will be people who enjoy him and glorify him. Friends, I trust in these weeks ahead as we open up what it is uh, to be fruitful and fruit-bearing people. That God would encourage us in his spirit. That we would be challenged and rebuked where we need to be challenged and rebuked. But ultimately it would all be done for his glory. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, as a branch is utterly helpless and dependent on a vine, so Lord, we are so helpless and dependent upon you. Lord, we are in amazement that the Lord Jesus would lay down his life for us, not because we are good people who would die for a righteous man, but because you came to seek and to save the Lord. Because you came to die for sinner. God would our response to that. Be people who live by the spirit. By people. Eh, by being people who abide in Christ. Would you help us to love you and prioritise you. Above all things. That we may be people who bear fruit. Who are marked eh, in our homes. By our families in our streets, in our communities, by our church family as people who are marked by our love and our joy and our peace and our patience and our kindness and our goodness and our faithfulness and our gentleness and our self-control. We thank you that you are a God that is always near, that you are a God that is always at work. Go with us and be with us in this week ahead, we pray. Amen.